Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. What's the hardest part of conflict? Taking that first step toward resolution. Neither side wants to give in and make the first move. It's always the other guy who's more at fault, so they have to do it. That's not how God's economy works. Andy Lewis, senior pastor at Mitchell Road Presbyterian in Greenville, South Carolina, brings us this message entitled, Our God, the Great Initiator, which covers Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Thank you for joining us today. It is great fun to be back with you. I think I was here a year or two ago, and uh, it's great as a pastor to be able to come to a place uh, once every 52 weeks or so. That's like being a student and getting a test with 52 questions, and you only have to answer one right. It's awesome. And so I get one shot at you. And so what I'm going to do is give you uh, one of the things that we always say at Mitchell Road, the church which I serve in Greenville. You have a lot of friends in Greenville, by the way. So if you're ever up there, come see us. We'd love to uh, be hospitable to you. But one of the things that we always say in Greenville is this, that our God is a God of relationships. I think that's one of the keys to life is relationships. And here's why. Let me prove it out by saying this. This is what we always say. If your life circumstances are awful, you have cancer, you don't have any money, you've lost your job, you have some kind of illness, and your relationships are wonderful. You have a relationship with God who sustains you and guides you. You have a a loving family. You have friends that pray for you. You have a church that loves you. Then life is not that bad. If, on the other hand, your life circumstances are phenomenal, you have the cars, you have the Pilatus, you have the planes, you have the, you know, 7 Series Beamer, you have it all, but you have a dysfunctional family, you're lonely, you have no God who loves you, you feel insecure, you're in an abusive relationship with your spouse, your kids don't like being around you, then life isn't really that good. So it seems to me that the key to life is relationships and knowing that our God wants a relationship with us. And he does this the way that all relationships begin. God does this by initiation. You might remember back in Genesis that when Adam and Eve started to hide after they fell into sin, God initially initiated with them. He came to them in the cool of the day and he said, where are you? God initiates. And in my probably life Verse And at least the verse of our philosophy of ministry is this, that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. That God in the incarnation, in Christ, made his dwelling among us. He came into our problems, into our pains, into our sufferings, into our anxieties that God initiates with us. God is the great initiator. And so here's my hope for us in these uh, few short minutes. My hope for us is that you will see that God not only wants to be worshiped, but he wants to love you. That he is initiating into your life with whatever your problems, your pains, your fears, that he comes to us. He doesn't just demand us to come to him. Every other world religion says, you get yourself cleaned up and then you can approach me. God says, no, I'll come to you. So I want you to see that God initiates with us. And because of that, we are free to jump into his arms. I've got three kids, it might say that on the bio, 10, 9, and 7, Kate, Maggie, and Daniel. 
And uh, earlier, when Kate was young, when she was four or five, she was our climber. I think each family has a climber. And she would always climb up stuff. We'd find her in trees in the park. She'd go missing. We'd find her in a tree somewhere. She would always climb. And from a very early age, she would climb up stairs, much like these stairs. And she would always jump. And she, you know, the first stairs, she'd jump. I'd have to convince her, I will catch you. The second stair, she'd matriculate up and up. She was the first to jump off the diving board. And she would get in our house, we have these wooden stairs. She would get where she would get seven or eight stairs up and jump and leap which was kind of hard because she has to you know, project herself out and she has to jump pretty high and I have to catch her. And because I'm her father, I caught her every time. Every time that girl leapt, no matter what the situation was, I always caught her, except for once. <laughs> and I was walking from the dining room into our living room and the wooden stairs are right up there in between, and there was no lights turned on in that hallway or in that stairwell. And when I walked by, my daughter Kate at five just caught a glimpse of me. All she did, she just saw me pass by, and when she saw me pass by, she leapt. And all I heard was this boom, boom on the floor behind me, and I turned around, and she was all together crying, just a puddle of mess. And the reason I tell you that story is because of this. Your God, my God, is not like me. <laughs> He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He never falters. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's never asleep at the wheel. And so when we see a God who initiates with us, my hope for us today is that we will take a step, a leap of faith into the arms of a loving Savior. Now, the way that we're going to see this is through uh, Luke chapter 19 in the story of Zacchaeus. And we're going to see that God initiates in the drama of the gospel, in the tragedy of the gospel, and also in the comedy of the gospel. Okay? So let's go right to it. Let's go to this text. And every great story has drama, and it has tragedy, and it has comedy. And the gospel is no different. First of all, let's look at the drama of the gospel. Verse 1, we're just going to parse our way through this. Verse 1 says this, he, being Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, don't miss that, that God himself was coming to Jericho and God passes through this life. He comes to where we are. Jericho was where all the trade routes were. It's where all the markets were. It, had, it was known for these wonderful, gentle breezes. The military was hosted there. It was kind of like the Boca Raton of, you know, America. It was the place that everybody loved to go to. There's a lot of wealth. And so Jesus is passing through on his way to Jerusalem. He comes through to Jericho. And then, verse 2, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now, Names in this day and age are way more important than they are in this day and age. Uh, for example, my name, Andrew, uh, I'm named Andy. Everybody calls me Andy, but I'm named Andrew. And in case you couldn't tell from looking at me, Andrew means strong and manly. That's what it means. <laughs> I always get a laugh at that, and I don't know why. I mean, it's not like I'm 4'5", I'm 5'11 and a half-ish. Uh, it means strong and manly. And, and my parents didn't think of that when they named me that. But when Zacchaeus was named, the parents always thought about the origin of the name. 
It had meaning in this Jewish context, in this Hebrew context. Do you know what Zacchaeus means? It means pure and just. Now talk about having to live up to something. That's like if your parents named you overachiever or valedictorian or all-star. I mean, you're already set up for failure. Zacchaeus is named pure and just. That's what the name means. And yet we know he was a lot different from that. He was a little bit more like the character in Les Miserables, the master of the house, you know, watering down the wine, making up the weight, picking up the knickknacks when they can't see straight. He was a swindler. He was a tax collector. Look at the next verse. There was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was not just a tax collector. He was the chief tax collector. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Taxes in this day and age had a face. April 15th is hard enough for us. We write a check, we send it off, but we just send it off to a building in D.C. or wherever those checks go. But in this culture, taxes had a face. And so Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector. He would have been the one that would have walked down the street. And you can just imagine the scene and the setting for Zacchaeus coming down the street from house to house, from village to village, from bungalow to bungalow, and the husband and the wife going, here comes Zacchaeus. He's two houses away. What are we going to do? If we give him the money that we've saved up for this tax, we won't have any money to plant our crops this year. Maybe he'll just pass us by. Maybe we can just turn the curtains. And all of a sudden, Zacchaeus is getting closer and closer and closer. And then all of a sudden, you hear the knock on the door, and there's Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus says, it's time to pay up. Now, from Zacchaeus' perspective, it, it was much different. That, that was an altogether joyous day. I mean, Zacchaeus is walking down the street going, if 5% appears too small, be careful I don't take it all. And if you walk, I'll tax your feet. And if you sit, I'll tax your seat. And if it's too cold, I'll tax the heat. He's whistling that all the way down. That's, of course, the Beatles. That's not Zacchaeus. You know that, don't you? <laughs> Just to make sure. But he, he's altogether joyous as he comes down. He's having a banner day. Zacchaeus was the face of somebody who was swindling you, and that made him, verse 2, very rich. Not rich in the things of forgiveness and grace, but rich in life. He had everything he wanted and there's another interesting thing it says in verse 3. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. That's an interesting thing that they put there in the scripture. Some would say that Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. I've heard that before, <laughs> that he was just of short stature. And so he's trying to see Jesus. Jesus is passing through Jericho, and he's trying to see Jesus, and yet nobody would let him in because this is the one time that the crowd gets to say, oh, no, no, I'm not making room for you, Zacchaeus. I give money to you every quarter. I am tired of making room for you in my life. Go find another place. And so, so Zacchaeus is going in and in and in, trying to find a soft spot. He can't, but he's looking for Jesus. Verse 4 he ran on ahead and climbed up a sycamore tree to see him. Now, one of the things that's interesting about Zacchaeus is he was a wee little man, but more likely he was a, a mean little man as well. He was short in stature, but his name was pure and just. And he probably just never, ever lived up to his parents' expectations. He probably never lived up to what 
a name like pure and just would mean. And he's in a culture where he has built his wealth based on swindling his neighbors and friends, taking a little bit off the top. And so it's, it's not surprising that they wouldn't let him in. And maybe some of you feel that way. Maybe you feel today like you just haven't lived up to expectations. You've, you've never achieved what you thought you would. You're at this point of life where you thought you'd have something and life has passed you by. And I have to admit, I, I cannot preach and not be vulnerable because I need you to know that the gospel works for me as well. I have to admit that all of my life, for whatever reason, one of the, the thorns in my flesh is that I have struggled life long with a deep and an abiding self-hatred. It's, it's part of who I am. I just don't inherently like myself. <laughs> I wish I was somebody else. I wish I had different skill sets. I wish things were different about me. And I've had to learn that it's Christ who helps me not only to love others, but to learn to love myself because he loves me. And we see with Zacchaeus in verse 4, he ran ahead, he climbed into the sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. I think the interesting thing about this, as we look at verse 3 again, is that he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Here's what we see when we look now at Zacchaeus, that there was something in his heart that was probably two sizes too small, like the Grinch, but there was something in Zacchaeus's rich heart that triggered when he heard that Jesus was coming. There was something in him that stirred and that said, maybe this man can help me. Maybe this man has something else. And maybe it was that the story was heard that when he was coming in to Jericho, Jesus stopped and healed a beggar. And for Zacchaeus, that would have been astounding. Zacchaeus had made his life taking, taking, taking. And here he hears of a man that's willing to stop on the way into the city and give and give and give. Something triggered within Zacchaeus's heart. And then in verse 5, the drama of the gospel just keeps going and going. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, I just want to stop right there because I don't want you to kind of miss the glory of God in these passages, these phrases. Here Zacchaeus is in this sycamore tree. He's run ahead. He's waiting for Christ to pass by. Christ is coming by and passing by. And here God is, God in the flesh, who stops and stands and looks up to Zacchaeus. The amazing glory of the incarnation and the humility of Christ that God himself would acquiesce himself to come to this place where he stands and looks up. When in a few short days... Christ won't be looking up at Zacchaeus, but everybody will be looking up at Christ, who's not just in a tree, but who's nailed to a tree. And all through Scripture, we see this pattern. We see the humiliation of Christ and the exaltation of Christ. The humiliation of Christ and then the exaltation of Christ. And then look what he says in verse 5. Zacchaeus. Hurry and come down, for I must stay 
at your house today. And I don't want you to miss that as well because these little phrases are so meaningful that he calls Zacchaeus by name. In Christianity, here's one of the amazing things about Christianity is you're not a name. I mean, you're not a giving unit. You're not a number. You're a name. You're a person that God knows you personally. One of the things that we always do at funerals, at least at our church, is to recite the Heidelberg Catechism. What's my only fear in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. I won't quote the whole thing to you, but he knows, as the catechism goes on, he knows every hair of your head. He knows your problems. He knows your pains. He knows your struggles. He knows your dreams. He knows your desires that you don't hide from him because you can't hide from him. He knows you. He loves you. Grace isn't just general. It's not just that Jesus died for our sins and that's just general. He died for your sins specifically. Grace is very specific. And so he calls him by name. He says, Zacchaeus. And then he says, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. I love that we see a God again who initiates. God initiates with Zacchaeus. He does, he's not passive. He doesn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, this is crazy. Here's my number. Call me maybe. He sorry. He, <laughs> he, he doesn't do that. He, he initiates with him and says, I'm coming into your house. This would strike fear in the, into, I think, any woman in Greenville, I can't speak for Atlanta, but any woman in Greenville, when somebody says, I'm going to come to your house today, you don't have time to get ready. You don't have time to throw everything in a junk drawer. You don't have time to put everything in that closet that you want nobody to open. I'm going to come right now to your house. But that's just the way God is. God's not interested in you seeing him from a distance. Most of us are content just to climb up in a tree and see Jesus pass by and say, oh, I know him. He knows me. We're good. I just need him to pass by the things of my life and to bless me. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. No, if I'm going to be your God, I'm going to, I'm going to come into your house. I'm going to initiate with you. I, I'm probably going to rearrange some furniture. I'm going to change some things in your life. That's the kind of God that we have. And Zacchaeus Look at what it says in verse 6. He hurried, he came down, and received him joyfully. One of the ways that we know we grow in grace of who God is is this. When we start to receive Christ into the messy areas of our lives. We, we say this at the church, which I serve all the time. Ministry is messy. Life is messy. And make no bones about it, the cross of Christ is messy. It is bloody, smelly, and awful. It's not just a picture in stained glass. And what that shows us is this, that whatever the mess in your life is or in my life, Christ is interested in that part of you. He wants to come in and redeem it. He wants us, we're going to see to seek and save what is lost. Let's go on to the second point, the tragedy of the gospel. And it's just found in this one sentence. And when they had saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. First, we see the drama of the gospel. This scene played out where Jesus initiates with Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus joyfully takes him now into his house. And then the tragedy of the gospel is this. When they saw it, they grumbled. Here's a litmus test for grace. When you see grace not for yourself, but also given to others, does it make you gracious or does it make you grumble? 
You don't understand grace, and I don't understand grace if we want it just for ourselves, but not for others. There's the parable of the talents in Matthew chapter 20. Do you remember that parable? And in that parable, one person works all day long, and he gets one price. And then somebody is hired during the 11th hour, and they get the same price. And the people grumbled. Why? Because they didn't love and understand the grace of God. Once we love and understand the grace of God, we don't grumble when somebody makes more money or gets the bonus or does better in school or makes the team and we get cut. We learn to love the grace of God for others as much as we do for ourselves. And the people here in verse 7 didn't love grace. They loved morality. They said he's gone into to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Uh, look, I've worked hard and hard and hard. Jesus should bless me. He should come to my house. What are they thinking? They're thinking this is merit. I deserve it. I deserve Jesus' presence. Zacchaeus doesn't deserve it. He's been swindling people for years. Oh, but the wondrous initiating love of Christ is to come into the house of Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus realized for the first time that he wasn't defined by what he did or who he swindled from. He was defined now by the love of Christ. And so we see the comedy of the gospel. After the tragedy, we see the comedy, which is verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. Now stop there. We don't know what happened behind those closed doors. There's no record of that. We don't know what they discussed. We don't know what they talked about. We don't know if they sipped espresso. We don't know if they opened the 1956 Rothschild. We don't know if they had pita and hummus. We just don't know what they did. But all we know is this, that Jesus and Zacchaeus went into the house. And the comedy of the gospel is this. When Zacchaeus came back out of the house, he was a completely different guy. So he comes out of the house and he says, here and now I give half of my goods to the poor. Half of my goods to the poor. And then look at what he does. This is very, very un-American because look at what he does in this next passage. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus opens himself up to a citywide class action lawsuit. That's astounding. <laughs> Nobody does that. Nobody says, if I have defrauded any of you anything, I'll pay it back. Not once, not twice, not three times. I'll pay it back fourfold times. I am opening myself to whatever class action lawsuit you want to bring. But there is the astounding grace of God. And here's what we see. Let me just give you this application point right here. Because God initiated with Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus learned, because of grace, to initiate with others. Because God's a God of initiation, Zacchaeus learned to initiate with others. You remember the passage from 1 John chapter 4. We love. Why? Because he first loved us. Because Furman is close, university in Wofford, and we have a campus outreach, I end up doing a, a lot of weddings. So I average 17 or 18 uh, a year. And one time, one time, I let somebody uh, write their own vows. And that was an awful experience. Never again. <laughs> because this couple got up, and it was hot. It was 3 o'clock. 
uh, in a field, and for some reason they wanted me to wear a robe, and so I'm wearing this robe, it was in August at three o'clock, and, and they go into their vows, and it is just awful. It is, I will always love you. Every day I'll make the bed, and I will make you blueberry pancakes every Saturday mornings, <laughs> and I promise there won't be one day where I don't write you a letter, and every married person in the crowd, including myself, is going, oh, give it a rest. Yeah, I almost had to stop it. And I, and I said to him after, I said, the over-under on that is a week and a half. <laughs> you might make it through your honeymoon. I said, the vows are the vows for a reason. I do promise and covenant, you know, in sickness and health. The vows are the vows for a reason. You, you have I told him after, you have promised things that God himself has not promised that he will help you to do. So th th we have a problem. But at every wedding, I always say this. I will say to the bride and to the groom, how do you love her when she's not lovable? And how do you forgive him when he doesn't deserve forgiveness? And how do you give mercy to her when she doesn't deserve mercy? And how are you gracious to him when he doesn't deserve graciousness? And I'll say, here's the only reason why you can do that. When you first realized that Christ loved you when you were unlovable, that Christ forgave you when you were unforgivable. That Christ gave grace to you when you didn't deserve it. That Christ gave mercy to you. And out of that love that you realize that Christ has given to you, we learn to love each other. We love because he first loved us. So just to press the point a little bit, because God's a God of love, because God initiates because God is free with his grace, who is it when you leave here after the benediction that you need to go be gracious with, kind with? Not for their sake, not for your sake, not taking Christ's name in vain, but for Christ's sake, for Christ's sake, that we go love each other. And then the comedy of the gospel continues. Jesus says in verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house. Now I want you to see the comedy of this. Because I don't think, and I, my creativity sometimes gets me in trouble when I preach, but I think I'm safe here. I don't think that Jesus came out of the house, heard Zacchaeus say, I give half of my stuff to the poor, and if I've defrauded anybody, I'll pay over four or four times. I don't think that Jesus did, stood up and said, Today, salvation has come to this house. I don't think he sounded like Morgan Freeman. I just don't buy it. <laughs> I think Jesus said it with a smirk and a smile. I think Jesus realized the hilarity of the gospel, the comedy of the gospel, that this man who's a swindler goes into the house with Jesus and comes out a different man. There's only two times that Jesus talks in this passage. Look at verse 5. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house. And then look at verse 9. Today, salvation has come to this house. Connect the dots. I am salvation. I'm the only way you're going to find happiness. I'm the only way you're going to find joy. And so I think Jesus probably came out of that house with Zacchaeus and said, today, with a smirk and a smile and laughter in his voice, grinning ear to ear, today, salvation has come to this house. This also is a son of Abraham, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Can you believe it? Can you see the heart change right in front of your eyes? The comedy of the gospel that he takes people like me 
and you who aren't pure and just. And because of his righteousness makes us pure and just. The comedy of the gospel that once you become a Christian, you can sin as much as you want and still go to heaven. I love that. But once you become a Christian, you just don't want to sin as much because the gospel starts to change your heart. Your your affection turns towards him. And the comedy of the gospel that he says, since he also is a son of Abraham. I just want to connect the dots with Genesis chapter 12 real quick because we also see the comedy of the gospel there. Abraham and Sarah promised a great nation and yet can't have a child and can't have a child and can't have a child. And finally, God comes to them and in his grace gives them a child. And there's a quote from Frederick Buechner. It's a long quote, but let me read it to you. The laughter of Abraham and Sarah at the angel's extraordinary announcement does not eliminate the darkness because through the long childless years of the past, darkness has already taken its toll. And dim, long years that lie ahead, there will be darkness for them Still, as for instance, when Abraham is asked to take the child of promise, Isaac, and offer him to God as a burnt offering, they're going to have a baby after all. It was just what was bound to happen. The old schlamusel, if, if you got nothing from this sermon today, you got the word schlamusel. That's an altogether glorious word. I don't know what it means, but it's a great word. The old schlamuzel is going to be a father of a great nation in spite of everything. God is gracious to you in spite of yourself, in spite of everything. It is just what was not inevitable. If anything was inevitable, it was that the soup would be spilled on him. The stranger who appeared at their tent door turned out not to be a man to read the meter, but an angel. Who could have possibly predicted it? Who could have possibly made it happen? Grabbed an angel by the wing and pulled him down out of the sky. Contrived for him to give such astonishing news. It all happened not out of necessity. God is gracious to you not because you've prayed so many prayers. God's gracious to you not because you give faithfully every week. God's gracious to you not because he has to. It doesn't happen out of necessity. But... Not inevitability, but gratuitously, freely, hilariously. And what was astonishing, gratuitous, hilarious was, of course, the grace of God. What could they do but laugh at the preposterousness of it? And they laughed until the tears ran down their cheeks. And so Zacchaeus was made the son of Abraham. Zacchaeus was one who knew and loved and understood the grace of God. For some of you, let me apply this a little bit and then we'll close. For some of you who have gone to Perimeter for the last 20, 30 years, some of you who have grown up in a church where you know all the answers, for some of you that are looking each week to learn something new, here's my challenge to you. Put down your pen and just enjoy Jesus today. Just enjoy him. Just adore him. Just praise him. What's the point of having a Savior if you don't enjoy him and use him to forgive your sins? What's the point of having a Savior if you don't adore him? We learn to enjoy him. And then for some of us who might not be in that place, look at verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what is lost. And you might, some, some of my friends that aren't believers 
will say that they're not lost. And I'll say, well, think of it this way. What have you lost? Have you lost your joy? Have you lost your contentment? Have you lost peace? Have you lost satisfaction? Have you lost love? Have you lost security? What have you lost? Jesus came to redeem that as well. He came to seek and to save what is lost. And the real joke here is that Zacchaeus was looking for Jesus. But the great comedy, the great joke of the gospel is this, that Jesus came looking for Zacchaeus. And it tells us in Revelation chapter 3, as Christ says, Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. And if anybody opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. That Jesus stands ready and stands waiting to initiate with you and in the mess of your life. And to me, that's good and great and glorious news. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Father, when we look at your word, we are again reminded of who you are, that you're a God who is the great initiator. You looked for us in the garden. You looked for us in the incarnation. You even tell us in Revelation that you stand at the door and knock, and we're so scared to let you into our house because we don't know what you're going to do. But we pray that we would catch a glimpse of you and we'd leap into your arms because you never leave us or forsake us. We pray that we'd see the drama of the gospel played out in our lives, that you make people who grumble gracious, that we would then learn to love each other. We pray for some that we would see the tragedy of the gospel, that our own hearts don't naturally beat towards you, that you have to change our hearts. And we pray that you'd help us to relish in the comedy of the gospel, that the grace of God makes us laugh like Abraham and Sarah until the tears run down our cheeks. Help us to enjoy and to praise you today. Convict where you need to, encourage where you need to, do your work. We're your children. We pray Christ in your name. Amen. You've been listening to the Perimeter Church podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and find other messages from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.